What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me in the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um, going to be continuing my little series of these little mini, mini podcasts about uh, um, various things that were true that aren't true anymore. And uh, one of the uh, things that, well, this is the next episode, uh, this one, excuse me, because I stumble over my words, uh, is going to be on footwork, specifically as it relates to big men and specifically in the post. And like the last episode, I'm going to describe why things are were the way they were back then and why they aren't the way they are now, okay? This isn't an attack. If you noticed in my last episode, I didn't make any, any judgments. Just I'm just doing an explainer about the way things were and why they aren't the same right now. So disclaimer here in case anyone gets upset at me. I'm not attacking modern basketball or anything like that. Um, but really, it was, you can always say that the NBA and the, its pursuit of big men has been its most vexing challenge. Um, the golden era of big men in the NBA really was the late 80s into the, like the mid-90s, um, extending a little bit into the late 90s with uh, um, Tim Duncan coming in at uh, and 1997, but he was... Duncan was more of a power forward, and people dispute that, but he he really was a power forward. Um, he just had his his game is a was suited to be your classic power forward, not the one, not the fourth stretch fours that have come since two thousand eleven. Um, but it's the he his game was more about a good turnaround, you know, bag, you know. Uh, um, he had good post moves, but his game wasn't predicated on post moves. Uh, he had a jumper that he would bank in. Um, he could get rebounds and do all that stuff. His game wasn't your traditional um, center thing. Um, and for that matter, neither was his cohort, David Robinson. Uh, but David Robinson had a ton of sweet moves. Uh, and he was great at, he was like a gazelle running the floor. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um you know, I've, I've never seen anyone run the floor like Dave. Never seen a center run the floor like David Robinson. And I don't think and I've ever, we ever will see anyone run like that. But we're going to be talking about how um, centers in the league change. And they and, and people call it an evolution. But I, I think in my theory is that it became so hard to find good big men that the NBA changed its rules. Um, which is what we'll, we'll get into in the second half of this podcast. But um, if you even go back to the 70s, um, where you really started to see the emergence of, of classic centers, um, you know, Wes Sunseld, Artis Gilmore, uh, obviously Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, players like that, the, the difference between them and the rest of the players was um, footwork. Um, when you found it, it, it's one thing to find a center who has good moves, um, post moves, but if their feet don't move with them, it's kind of useless. Uh, Jabbar had this, um, Wilt was a little different. Wilt, Wilt, um, was skilled in a lot of different ways. I don't necessarily think he had the best feet in the world. 
um, which is probably what killed him against Bill Russell, the late great Bill Russell, uh, in those mashups against the Celtics in the in the 60s. Um, when Kareem came in, Kareem really actually did have uh, good footwork in the post, and it kind of allowed him the separation to get his skyhook off. Uh, he knew how to shake to get to get to where he could get the shot off without someone coming from behind to uh, get the big hook, and that was a big hook. Um, yes, he would get up on one one leg and you know do the thing, and it was unblockable. Um, but you could get the the skyhook. Uh, before it started its motion, but he was really good at moving to where, in using his feet to where he would got enough separation to where that wouldn't matter, you know. Um, Artis Gilmore had a great post game. Um, he was more of a bully. Um, Dan Issel talks glowingly about his time playing with Artis Gilmore in the ABA. Um, Wes Unseld was more of a rebounder primarily, rebounder defending um, center, but he had some good post moves. Um, And then you evolve into the 80s, which featured largely Kareem. Um, Your centers, specifically through um, the early 80s to just about mid eighties when the classic centers started reemerging. Um, it was, it was a, it wasn't necessarily, uh, the best era and the NBA went through ebbs and flows with centers that would come in. Moses Malone came in and uh, Moses Malone was more of a, and I would describe him as Ben Wallace with a good offensive game. Um, by the time, and I, I actually saw Moses Malone play, when back in the late 80s, uh, he played the Nuggets, and I believe he was on the Bullets at that time. I think uh, people are going to fact check me on this one, but I think he was playing with the Bullets, um, where he kind of ended up his career. It wasn't the same, but he was still good. You know, he he always looked old to me. Moses Malone always looked like he was an old player. <laughs> Uh, but his fundamental impact on the Philadelphia 76ers in 1983 was huge because that is the that's when they finally broke through and won that title uh, against the Lakers and uh, the faux 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 thing. And the uh, he really was the MVP of that team by 83. Um, Julius Irving had really, really dropped off. Uh, and you know, it would, it became harder for him to dominate and take over. Um, he still had his moments. Obviously there's some great moments that are still in high highlight reels from his time in that series, but that was Moses Malone's series. Um, then you move to the mid eighties and the mid eighties is when, uh, you had this emergence of sweet footed, college centers that would come in and that extended all the way to the early nineties. Um, you know, the classic era of the centers really began with the 84 and 85 drafts. When you have, uh, Elijah one, uh, being drafted in 84, he went number one. And, uh, the next year, um, when, uh, Patrick Ewing was drafted in the controversial first ever, uh, draft lottery, um, there, there, that really began what 
really emerged in the in the nineties with a big men who didn't need development like that because they already had their shit together mostly, you know. And then, like I said, that extended all the way to ninety one with Dikembe uh, Mutombo, who was more of a defense. And all we all we all acknowledge he was more of a defensive center, but he knew positioning really well. Dikembe was one of the reasons Dikembe, losing Dikembe in nineteen ninety six hurt so much for the Nuggets was. Uh, you can't replace a guy who is a center and knows what the hell he's doing. His his impact on the Atlanta Hawks was immediate. And those Hawks teams with he and Steve Smith and the like, they they were regularly winning 50 games, over 50 games um, in that era. They just ran up against uh, better, you know, Bulls teams. Um, there is a, but, but Matumbo and uh, Sha- uh, Shaquille O'Neal on 1992, um, another great, great center. Brad Doherty in 1986. Um, All of these centers came into the league and knew what the hell they were doing. And it all centered around all of them knowing exactly what to do with their feet. And it is hard to, it's hard to describe having foot competence like that. And that's the best way to put it. Knowing how to position your feet in order to get where you need to go. This isn't like one of the other skills of, uh, of like wings or they, and we're going to talk about how we have kind of blurred the line between small forward and quote unquote wing player. Uh, but it, there is a, and we'll do that in the next episode, but there is a, uh, you know, when you look at the, uh, the, the centers that came in, Brad Doherty had a great set of feet, and it is tragic he didn't get more success. Obviously, the early 90s, he kept running again, up against the uh, Chicago Bulls, and that really hurt. Uh, his his legacy, those Cleveland teams with Mark Price and Larry Nance were very good, and I I think they unfortunately, like I said, they they were, you know, everyone remembers the Craig Elo thing. Uh, Jordan shot over Craig Elo in 1989. Um, I, I watched that. I watched that. Actually, I was at my dad's house and I watched that on the TV. He had one of those TVs where you had to press a button. There was these sequential buttons going down. Um, the the right side of the TV that you had to press to get the whatever channels. I think there was only about 10, not even 10 channels, probably about eight channels that you could access at that time. Anyway, um, I remember uh, watching it on, on NBC. Um, it's just, it was amazing. Anyway, um, there are these centers that came in, one of the, what the way they were notable and then the way they kind of influenced things to the negative later is that it was harder and harder to find centers who a knew what they to do with their feet b had the requisite talent to uh, overcome other things like who, who had just had base offensive games you can develop an offensive game um and two uh and excuse me and three wanted to play and and you're 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 kind of you know you know, and looking at me weird, I'm sure, with when you're listening to this, but it is absolutely true. The there, uh, look at Andrew Bynum, and you can see a guy who had all the talent in the world and who just didn't necessarily want to play. 
And I and I think that that part is underrated, um, but you run up and up against that more and more as the '90s progressed. But Ewing had a had a, a tremendous drop step, probably the best drop step game I have ever seen. Um, Akeem Olajuwon had the the dream shake. Both of those things were based on guys who knew how to use their feet, how to use their feet to separate just enough to get their game off, to get their their offensive moves started. Hakeem Olajuwon's the dream shape came out of out of starting, and he would tell you this, starting knowing how to where to put his feet, right, and a lot of uh, of centers that would come into the game after about the mid nineties, you could tell because of the advent, it really it's began with Allen Iverson and how things kind of changed. Uh, And obviously Jordan being the most popular player in the world as a two, as a two um, influenced various aspects of, of how the game was perceived and, and who went forward. And obviously Kobe Bryant in 96 was the, the, the first of the of the, of the, uh, Michael Jordan wave in 96. But there is a, um, when you, when you, when you look at these centers, the drop off from 1995, basically, on, aside from Tim Duncan, who really isn't who I'm talking about here, um, was precipitous. I mean, David Robinson came, comes in, was drafted in 1988, didn't play. His first year was 90, I think. Um, and he was pretty old by the time he actually got in the league because he had to serve uh, in the Navy. That's why they called him the Admiral. Um, and uh, Robinson's game was was just was just different. It was different. He was he was the standout, and then he ended up winning the and the NBA MVP in nineteen ninety five with a tremendous year. I think that was the year he had the quadruple double. I think that was the year he had the quadruple double, which you never see anymore. I don't I don't remember when the last quadruple double was. Um, but there is, um, I mean, Shaq had his power game. Uh, you know, Ewing with a drop step, uh, and all of these, even Shaquille O'Neal, and it's not appreciated as much as, as, as it should be. Shaquille O'Neal kind of gets, uh, the short end of the stick in terms of reputation because he, he has, he had so much power that people like the NBA fundamentally, as, as I've said in numerous podcasts, fundamentally changed its rules because of him. And I'll touch on that a little in the second half, but he had great feet. He knew where to go. His feet were always ahead of his body. And this really what you need as an NBA center if you're going to play any sort of thing in the post. Uh, you need to have your feet be ahead of where a split second ahead of where your motion is because your feet anchor you. And a lot of centers would come into the league and they just would do everything with their upper part of the it still happens with the upper part of their body. Um a, there is just, uh, just it's hard to. I mean, just at the end of, I think, I think it was ninety eight. Al Jefferson was drafted, and Al Jefferson had the best post moves I've ever seen. The guy knew what to do in the post. Everything, every other aspect of Al Jefferson's game sucked, but the guy knew what he was doing in the post. He had a fundamentally great 
post moves. And I think that part, you know, came through. But on the second half of the podcast, and we'll get to that uh, right after the break, is where have the where have the centers gone? And I'll tell you where they have gone and how that is aided by the NBA itself. But first, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of Dairy Block. They are always online at bfwdenver.com. Uh, go in and just get yourself some of what they've got to offer. They've got reds and whites. Um, obviously, I prefer the reds, so you're going to get a blend. You know, uh, They don't have any of the 2017 Cabernet, unfortunately, but uh, hopefully they'll be having another varietal of Cabernet coming out soon. But they got the Pinot. Obviously, the these grapes are from Sonoma County, so Pano is the specialty from there. Uh, but they got partnerships with Western Slope wineries, um, Colteris, Storm Cellars, Restoration, uh, many, many more, NSFW. There, there are places that they go to get these great wines in Colorado. And you could go try them out there, but they got whites, uh, they got uh, rosés, basically everything you need. Uh, if you go to bfwdenver.com, you can pick yourself up some swag or get yourself a bottle. You know, obviously they can ship that to you. Great place to do that, your one-stop shop. Uh, or you can book yourself a reservation if you're looking at a weekend stop in there in Blanchard Family Wines. They also have a bunch of different events they do all throughout the year uh, that you can look into and look into trying yourself. Uh, they're all very fun, and I, ho- I hope you will look into it. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are always on online at bfwdenver.com. They are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. It was about, like I said, about 1995, the, the, the NBA really struggled with getting good post players, right? The NBA became a, or started to become a wing-dominated uh, league when the Jordan era had really began to feel its influence, which was with Iverson, basically Iverson and uh, Kobe in 1996, um, where the league didn't know what it wanted to be. And there is multiple reasons why the the quality of play from – 95 to about 2004 dropped off so heavily it was because of multiple factors a the the nba overexpanded didn't need to expand in 1995 uh really set themselves back um in no offense to the canadian teams that came in in 1995 but the canadian expansion in 1995 really diluted the league to an enormous extent I don't think the Bulls win 72 games if there's no expansion teams. It, it, I'm, I'm sorry. There's just, it just doesn't happen. Um, and I think if you ask the Bulls, they wouldn't happen. But uh, also, the league didn't know what it wanted to be. Um, the centers that were drafted in 90, or excuse me, in the mid-80s, Brad Doherty, uh, Patrick Ewing, Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, you could even throw Barkley in there, although Barkley really wasn't a post player. Um, all these players started getting older. There was nothing coming up behind post players. And the players that were being drafted as the 90s went on 
the NBA was having a problem with desire, and they were having a problem with these players not knowing where to, how to set their feet. So it got to a point where players that were drafted in this era needed time to for tip for instruction to know where to put their feet, to know where to uh, do what these uh, great centers of the uh, of the early '90s did in having that knowing that you need to set your feet correctly and have your feet be a fraction of a second ahead of where your body is in order to get your shot and get your move off. And it started getting worse and worse and worse. By the time we get to the early 2000s, it's Shaquille, basically just Shaquille O'Neal left. All right. Al Jefferson's coming in, obviously. And um, uh, Zach Rudolph was another great post player, but um, these, these, uh, Zebo, um, but these, these players were few and far between. They had been replaced with the Dirk Nowitzkis. Um, the t- early 2000s, the identity crisis within the NBA was huge. Jordan had long since retired, then come back as a wizard, and obviously we saw those two years as a wizard didn't work out. But these post-Jordan retirement, the identity crisis in the NBA, along with a lockout in 98-99, uh, um, really kind of set the league back, and it became a league that didn't know what it wanted to be. I think, I think where the league progressed obviously is from intent and indecision. Shaquille O'Neal was dominating everything. You had centers like Vlade Divac who came in in the late 80s, who uh, was your traditional European center, uh, very much a stretch five. Um, He was on some good Lakers teams. From the, I mean, the one that went to the to to uh, the finals in 1991. Um, he is the one who came in after uh, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, in fact. But there is a, um, a that was the kind of centers were, that were out, and Shaquille O'Neal was just dominating. So the league, as I've discussed in many a podcast, and you know, I may reference these other ones that I've talked about this in the, in the description, but they just altered the rules because Shaquille O'Neal was the single most dominant thing in the NBA and the NBA refs did not know how to referee him. His dominance got to the point where other teams in the league, and this is the way it goes in the NBA. There's a lot of whining that happens. And when the whining reaches an absolute crescendo is when the NBA changes the rules, a la the the draft lottery and the tanking uh, of about four or five years ago. That's really what happened is that other teams whined. Um, reason the Nuggets, one of the reasons the Nuggets don't necessarily have a good home court advantage anymore is because teams whined and whined and whined and whined. But it took 40 years, but they finally, they finally crushed the back-to-backs in Denver coming from the West Coast. So with the, these altered rules, with the defensive three seconds being coming in uh, over illegal defense, and um, the emphasis on hand-checking, the league said, we are going to go all-in on spacing. Players with excellent footwork was almost eliminated. Um, centers, specifically. 
with uh, with with po- good post work footwork was almost completely eliminated, um, and that got worse and worse as the decade progressed. Um, there are there are players that would come in and they would get who were you know ostensibly good post players, but they would be weeded out because the defensive three seconds allowed zone defense, and zone defense is a unless you are put putting the a center at the at the the top of the uh, where the free throw line is in order to break up a uh, a zone, it it, it really hurt hinders um, what would take several seconds of a twenty four second shot clock to set up a play. All these things were done specifically, and they were primarily done to combat Shaquille O'Neal, and then other you know to go all in on spacing. Once O'Neal found his way out of the league. Um, and was no longer the dominant player he was all the way up to about 2004 um, or 2005. I think that's where they ended. Um, Once that declined, the NBA had nothing to replace it with. So they went all in on skill sets, skilled guards. Once you go in all in on guards, everything has to be catered to getting them spacing. And one of the reasons you're allowed to uh say as we were talking about the last thing things are no longer ch- considered to be chucking one of the reasons that they are allowed to do this is the uh um lack of hand check okay which there's always been a hand checking rule in the NBA but it was never really called a foul until it was really emphasized in about 2004 the NBA really tried to alter the rules in early 2000s, uh, or excuse me, in the mid-90s. Um, but they just never enforced it. It was due to just the style of play at the time. Uh, jo- Michael Jordan was the worst offender with hand-checking. That was most of his defense was was being, was putting his hand on a defender's hip. That was, that was Michael Jordan. He, that was his, that was his, what made him a great defense. I'm not taking anything away from Michael Jordan, but that's what made him a good defender. Um, so the, everything was gone to spacing. Well, that really basically was the coup de gras for the classic center. People have said over and over that they need skilled, skilled centers. And I think that's a big insult to the centers of the past. Um, these centers, Ewing, Elijah Robinson, Matumbo, all these things, they were all skilled centers. They were just skilled in a different way. And it wasn't about face. I mean, look at Joel Embiid's game. Game, okay. He's a face the basket, very much in the style of Elijah Wan and David Robinson. He is a face the basket center. Nikola Jokic is a back to the basket center who can pass. All right, but it took damn near twenty years for the NBA to begin. You know replacing these with with centers who aren't necessarily going to require several seconds of the shot clock to back down someone for two now they're all about they can shoot threes two and pass and score in different ways um and in 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 beat's case be a different offender defender but it's not it is not it to to say that it is about um, the NBA evolved and became a more skilled league. I got, I got to be honest with you guys. Um, what 
the only person I could see maybe translating, or, or only actually only two, it's it's Embiid and Jokic. Phil Jackson would absolutely love Nikola Jokic. Love him. Jokic is the perfect triangle center, and he would be the perfect focal point of any Phil Jackson. I mean, you're talking about someone who uh, could run exactly all the complicated and cutting movements of the triangle. You're talking Nikola Jokic. Okay, that, that's 100%. With Embiid, Embiid would thrive, absolutely thrive on any team that had a, uh, a point guard who could get him the ball. And those guys are stand out like a sore thumb in a league that basically treated cent, treats centers right now like, gor- I've always said this and people take offense, um, glorified garbage collectors, right? They, they just want you to, to be there to catch lobs, get a rebound, you know, stay out of the way. Just get out of the way. With Embiid and Jokic, they're the focal point of the offense, and that's that's an evolution. That's different. That is, they are adapting to the a, a league that wants to emphasize spacing as much as possible, um, and uh, that is where things have have evolved. Both Jokic and Embiid have great footwork. Um, Jokic is a little different. He is uh, he is not. He's got great post moves. Um, and he can pass out of the post, like I said, perfect triangle center. Um, and Embiid's got tremendous, like epic footwork. I mean, he really is, does remind me of Elijah one in in that way. Uh, he doesn't do all the shake moves, but he has tremendous footwork. I wish he wouldn't do the, the Mori-esque get as fouled as many as times as you can thing. But, uh, that's a, that's a aesthetic quibble. Um, both of these guys are great. And I'm hoping that the NBA can find more people who know what to do with their feet. And if you, that is, you know, we're talking about fundamentals here, but the fundamental thing to playing center in the NBA is having the ability to move your feet before you move your upper part of your body, knowing that you need to get set before you get into a move. Maybe Embiid and Jokic are pointing the way to more centers coming into the league like this. Um, we don't know what Wiseman's going to look like. Maybe he's a guy like that. Who knows? But, I mean, Towns maybe a little. Towns' game, to me, is a little weak. Um, he reminds me more of an Al Jefferson who can shoot threes. Um, he's lacking in some other aspects of the all-around game. Um, and, you know, Nikola Jokic's not the best defender in the world either. And, and it's just, it is what it is. Um, uh, but uh, Towns is not exactly my cup of tea. But, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see because I, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that the evolution has come in and that sweet-footed big men are finally coming back to the league. And I think that's good for everyone. It's good to not have such uh, um, sameness and have such issues with boring everyone shoots a three basketball you need diversity in the nba and i think i think we may be seeing uh the league tilt a little back towards skilled big men we can only hope all right thank you all for joining me on this latest smartcast i'll be back well next week with another episode goodbye